Hi, welcome to another edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. This is John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Um, we are um, going to be uh, bringing a guest onto the pod today, <clears throat> and uh, that'll be Michael Monsoor. But uh, before I do that, I would like to talk, uh, let's get caught up here a little bit. Uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds played on Saturday night. I know a lot of people were preoccupied. It's Easter weekend, the Passover, Ramadan. There's a lot going on um, in personal lives. And um, so maybe not easy to keep up with the Riverhounds uh, uh, on Saturday night. Uh, but yeah, I, we had the, all the recaps and coverage uh, on Pittsburgh soccer now. Uh, the Hounds went to Colorado Springs and took on the Colorado Springs switchbacks for the first time. And that was a, an interesting match. And Interesting, too, that the coaching staff from Colorado Springs, uh, familiar faces, actually, to Pittsburgh soccer fans. Is if you followed the Riverhounds closely in the last five, six, seven years, uh, you may know that the Hounds played regularly against Bethlehem Steel FC, which was essentially the second club for the Philadelphia Union for a number of years. Uh, of course, they played up in the Lehigh Valley and up in Bethlehem. and the Hounds kind of developed a little bit of a rivalry with them. And their their coach was Brendan Burke. And Brendan Burke uh, was, you know, had really assembled a pretty good team of young players. Um, they were kind of meddling in terms of being a playoff team in the USL championship in their time there. But it was essentially Philadelphia Union Academy focused. Uh, side with some veterans thrown in the mix. And so what happened was, uh, you know, they, before they eventually became Philadelphia Union 2, which worked its way out of the U USL championship, uh, Bethlehem Steel were, like I said, were a little bit of a thorn in the Hound side. The, the Hounds pretty much 2017, 2018, for the most part of those regular seasons, had their way with Bethlehem Steel during the regular season. But, of course, the match everybody remembers is the playoff match where the Hounds were home. It was the first-ever home playoff match at Highmark Stadium. They took on Bethlehem Steel. They were the favorites. But the Steel just wouldn't go away. The Hounds scored first. The Steel came back and put one back. As the match went on, again, the same thing happened in, a, in extra time. It was a 1-1 match. The Hounds took the lead. I remember Hugh Roberts getting a header, giving them a 2-1 lead. But sure enough, the, the Steel, you know, FC had, like I said, a lot of young players, a lot, a lot of young legs. And it got through them really through that match. And, and But at the end, uh, James Chambers, uh, the Irish uh, midfielder, uh, at that time in his mid third, I think it was, it was like 30, somewhere close to his mid thirties um, was just a nuisance. And he was having a good time with the steel army. He was heckling the steel army with every chance he got, uh, but scored the, the, the equalizer. And then in extra in the penalty kick shootout uh, scored the first goal and was heckling kind of mocking the steel army too. So, but I reason why I bring all this up is because Colorado spring switchbacks, you know, we're kind of a meddling USL championship team in the Western Conference for a lot of years. But 
they brought Brendan Burke in into 2020, 2021. And he really turned that that franchise around. He helped really build and turn them into a winner. And Burke got them to the playoffs in 2021. Uh, he was a finalist for coach of the year. And he brought in James Chambers, and James Chambers was his assistant, uh, as well as Stephen Hogan, two guys that uh, they all coached together uh, with Philadelphia Union 2 or Philadelphia Union Academy. But they all came back uh, into the mix uh, in Colorado. And with Burke's success, he was recently, this past January, hired uh, as an assistant with the Houston Dynamo. So that left Stephen Hogan to take the head coaching ranks from uh, for the Colorado Springs switchbacks and James Chambers uh, became the top assistant. So it's small world and it's a small soccer world in the second division. But but once again, Stephen Hogan uh, leading the switchbacks and James Chambers right there on the side uh, proved to be a nuisance again for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, who again, their first loss of the year uh, were, were dealt um, on Saturday night at the hands of Colorado Springs Switchbacks. And, you know, again, those clubs were very similar, and that's kind of how the match was dictated. That's how it went. For the good part of the first half, neither side really gave an inch. They minimized each other's chances. In fact, neither had a shot on frame through the first, I don't know, first, well, really the first 45 minutes plus not a single shot on frame. Each team did have three shots on goal. And it was kind of what we expected. The, the Hounds this year have not been consistently dynamic getting forward. They they are struggling in that area. They've been solid defensively, and that's kind of how they played out. Of course, in the second half started, everything went sour for the Hounds. And Robbie Mertz, of course, was... Uh, given a red card for his challenge in the 60, I'm sorry, the 46th minute or so. And that really turned a match and everything kind of, kind of turned it upside down. I will give the Hounds credit probably right after Robbie Mertz's studs up challenge. And it was <clears throat> a studs up challenge. I mean, he, he lost, he, Mark, I believe Luke Biasi uh, sent him a pass right to his foot. He he got one good touch on it. And then the second touch, it kind of got away from him. And at that point, he he kind of made a run to go recover um, the ball. And in that instance, that's where he kind of got in trouble uh, in trying to recover the ball. Um, you know, he Yaro Enriquez uh, had already, it was, the ball was between Yaro Enriquez legs and Robbie just made a quick dash and slide real hard slide in um, with his boot up and the referee didn't miss it and I know uh, some people are upset about that on the Riverhound side of uh, fans of diehard fans uh, honestly if you look at the replay and I haven't had a chance to talk to Robbie since the, this and uh, maybe we'll catch up with him this week but he looked guilty of sin in that one. Uh, I hate to say it, but he he looked like he knew he was in the wrong. Uh, at least he knew he had fouled. Uh, and uh, um, yeah, he he fouled uh, uh, Henriquez. Uh, he he definitely fouled him. So he knew that when he got up, and uh, of course he was thrown. He was booked and 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 um, sent off for the match. So. 
Um, but the hounds were still, was still zero zero, and there was a chance to salvage. And the last few times the hounds lost a player due to a red card, they salvaged either a draw or a win. I believe I don't know if they've. Yeah, they might have pulled out one win with a red card. I think it was the in in Indianapolis. Of course, the the incredible coincidence of Dan Angel, who covers our you know Riverhound games whenever they play in Indy or in Louisville, sometimes helps us with some pit coverage uh, on the uh, Sports Now Network. Dan uh, just happened to be covering the Philadelphia Union, so. His jinx did not end. He has, I think it was five, four straight matches. He's covered the Pittsburgh Riverhounds where there was a red card, four straight. And then he's covering Philadelphia Union for Philadelphia, for our new uh, brother site in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Soccer Now. And sure enough, the Riverhounds are uh, issued a red card once again. So that's five straight times Dan has been covering a soccer match for one of the Soccer Now networks and the Riverhounds have, I'm laughing because it's just just a uh, quite a touch of irony. Um, and not only that, Dan is scheduled to cover the Hounds uh, indie match uh, coming up at the end of the month. So it just, uh, we will watch in great anticipation to see how that one plays out. Um, but Dan Angel, he is the red card um you know, Dan Angel comes to a match. The red card will follow. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll 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 reverse itself, and it'll the opponents of the Riverhounds will will be the ones that end up getting a red card. But it is it's just one of the most bizarre coincidences that I have seen in my time uh, in covering any sport. Um, but hey, just. It is what it is, I guess. So, so Dan, uh, we'll probably have Dan on the podcast uh, down the road, maybe before or after that indie match. Uh, I always like Dan's perspective. He really knows the game. He's covered, you know, he's covered Pitt for us. He's covered the Riverhounds uh, in uh, Midwestern games. So we we always appreciate his coverage uh, for sure. But yeah, let's just kind of focus back on. Uh, just I'll wrap it up here. Uh, yeah, that match with Colorado Springs, it, it was tough. So then, of course, Colorado, you know, I mean, they they had about two or three chances to take the lead even before they got the game-winning goal, uh, and they just they couldn't finish. They they had a chance when, um, you know, they got near goal, and I believe it was um, Patrick Segrist you know, he got the ball right to his feet around the 70th minute, right near goal. And his shot, his shot was blocked by his own uh, teammate. And uh, I think it was Deshane Beckford. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that happened. The Hounds actually had that happen, too, at the end of the first half when Mark Ibarra's shot was blocked by Tony Lopez. So a couple of weird things going on on Saturday night and on the, in Colorado Springs. and But, yeah, so then, of course... Patrick Hogan uh, gets uh, gets called for a foul in the box. He's tugging the shirt of Malik Foster, another Jamaican forward here in the, in the mix of things uh, for Colorado Springs. And Foster then gets the golden gift of here you go. You got a chance to give your team the lead penalty kick opportunity against a fellow Jamaican. Maybe he was thinking too much Jamaican versus Jamaican. Maybe, you know, Jamali Waite knew him. I don't know what was going on there. 
But Malik Foster decides, hey, I'm going to try to just get really, really super cute. And uh, boy, did he get too cute. I think he he took about two tiny little stutter steps. Then he pauses, pauses for a while. He's looking at the ball. Jamali waits like, what the heck's going on here? And then finally he sends a really light-footed little poke almost right at the center of goal and weight is it was just just way too easy for Jamali weight to save and at that point you're thinking oh the, the hounds might be they might be getting off here you know this is not their best scenario everything's kind of gone sour they're down a man but yet Colorado Springs couldn't finish they couldn't finish on the transition chance uh, from Segrist and now Foster seems like he's you know he it was a questionable foul call on Pat Hogan to begin with. I mean, yeah, there was a, the, and I mean, it's clear as day. The ref sees the shirt getting pulled, but there wasn't that much resistance with it. But hey, it's just kind of the way it went. And so it seemed like the hounds are out of the woods, but I will give Colorado Springs credit. They, you know, they found that seam. They found that just a little bit of room. And this time, Segrist was the one who sent the cross in. And it was for Mario Williams, a name, again, if you follow USL Championship, you follow a lot of the Riverhounds and their battles with the Charleston Battery. For Mario Williams, he's another Jamaican forward there who, you know, right place, right time, knew where to be. And he got there and he got a good foot on it, a real quick redirect, and Jamali Waite didn't have a chance. And and that was the difference. It was one nothing. And what are you going to do? It's a road loss. Uh, you regroup. You, you the problem the round the Hounds have now is they already have, without Junior Etau, who was injured, hurt his arm, so he was out of that match. And we don't know how long he's going to be out. Uh, but it was a pretty bad injury. He had to be carted off the field in Tulsa, so he missed. The match in Colorado Springs. So Bob Lilly went with the new one of the newer players assigned to the team, Trevor Sweatsloot, who got the start and as the holding mid alongside Kennard Forbes. Of course, Kenny took a little bit more chances and I had a few more touches and was involved a little bit more in trying to initiate a lot of the transition opportunities. Let's face it, the Hounds had just mostly transition opportunities against against Colorado Springs because Colorado Springs on the other side, again, another Jamaican, Speedy Williams, uh, former Robert Morris standout, uh, was on the other side opposite Kenny. And Speedy was sharp. He was really on his game, at least in terms of distribution, about at a 90-plus percent rate. So lots of credit to Speedy Williams and Colorado Springs for owning the possession battle, uh, really making the Hounds chase the game a little bit more. And I think that's kind of what cost Pittsburgh, um, especially with 10 men. Once they were down to 10 men, I know they rotated in a lot of guys, um, but they just they just didn't have the legs at the end of the match. They, they, they had a couple opportunities. There was a couple corners. There was a free kick chance, which Jamali Waite came all the way up to take. Um, but it was too little, too late. They couldn't really generate enough pressure throughout the match sometimes the hounds will play that way and they'll be down maybe only have 35 40 percent possession 
but can still be dangerous in those moments. And on Saturday, I just didn't see it. I don't think they were that dangerous. And uh, with that, you know, they fall. It's their first loss of the season. They're one, one, and three. And they have to kind of to regroup. They'll play another Western Conference opponent. This time they will come home. Seems like it's once a month at home at the beginning of the season. And that's that's really where they are. They uh, will play uh, Rio Grande Valley um, FC on Saturday night at Highmark Stadium. You know, once a month, you would think that the, the fans would turn out. Uh, I think that's something that Jeff Garner, president of Riverhounds, and and I'm sure Tuffy Schallenberger, and they, they were really hoping for a, a great turnout. It is Yinzer night, so uh, those diehard uh, soccer fans and all the Yinzers uh, calling out for a big crowd on Saturday night. It looks like the weather should be pretty good the rest of this week and into the weekend. Uh, there are some showers expected on Saturday, but doesn't look like much on Saturday. So if you are a soccer fan in Pittsburgh and you're thinking about going, uh, I'm sure there's still tickets available. But uh, the Hounds could you really use the support? I would think that um, a good turnout will will do them some well. Do them well. They will have a bonus match at Highmark Stadium this month. Uh, they are going to play the Maryland Bobcats. I believe the date has been set for Tuesday, April 25th, and for the uh, Open Cup. So it'll be the Open Cup third round. They'll face the Maryland Bobcats. That's a team they played last year. So that should be interesting. We we will see the Open Cup second round, uh, third round, with probably an opportunity to play DC United, uh, or most likely uh, that's was the pool set up. So I'm guessing that. If they win, they would get a chance to potentially host DC United. I don't know. They also have to draw for the uh, who gets the home game, that sort of thing. Um, they'll redraw for for that after the third round concludes. But but that's where we are. That's where the Riverhounds are. One, one, and three defensively. I think they're fine. I think they have a, they have a terrific goalkeeper. The back line solid as long as they you know can keep their not getting red carded and sent off as Arturo Ordonez was. Sorry, I didn't mention that either. Uh, late in the match, they, the Hounds, I mean, very, very late in that match while they were making their, their final comeback, uh, Arturo Ordonez was sent off. So so they will go Saturday without Junior, probably most likely without Junior Itao. They'll probably be with, oh, they'll be without Robbie Merce. That one, even if appealed, uh, I don't think it's gets turned over. And then Arturo Ordonez, which uh, even the announcers questioned his, I mean, he did get up, get his foot up high. Um, whether that was reason for a second yellow card, well, that's debatable, but it that was the call and that's the call it stands. It's very, very, very hard to overturn um, any yellow card uh, infraction uh, unless it's something that, you know, uh, you know, could be clear as day and they missed it or something. Um, that's ultimately a judgment call by the official. And that's what that was his judgment call in, in that moment. Uh, with So so no Mertz, no Ordonez, and no Itau. The Hounds will have to put their, de their depth to the test. Um, some things that I really stood out, I was impressed with was uh, I thought Luke Biasi played well. Uh, they had him as their man in a match, and he, he was excellent on the on the right side. So they 
So there's kind of like this outside back rotation thing going on. Uh, it's mostly going to be Danny Rivera, Luke Biasi, and um, Nate Dos Santos because the outside backs right now, unless the Hounds do something different tactically where they maybe they play three in the back and then they go with, they'll still use those players as wingers or play a five, you know, a five, three, two, or something like that. But for the most part, they played four, two, three, one this year and four in the back. So they've been relying on, you know, either Rovera, Dos Santos, and now Biasi getting starts in his last two matches. Uh, so that's rotation of the outside backs. And so the center backs rotation with Ordonez being out, most likely we'll see Joe Farrell taking his place in the Saturday's match. Uh, so look for that. Joe Farrell probably to get his second start of the year. Uh, the quick turnaround match in Tulsa did force Bob Lilly and his coaching staff to start a lot of guys for the first time. Joe Farrell was one of them. Biasi was another. Uh, so they each got, a, or at least Biasi got a second start, start, and I thought he looked pretty good. Um, the other thing is Albert Dequa. I mean, he's regardless if the Hounds are having trouble getting the ball up to him and getting him involved in finishing and giving him chances to finish, or he's unable to create on his own and he's playing balls back and things like that. But still, credit has to be there. I mean, the guy has played 90 minutes just about every match. I think he was subbed out once. He's been very durable in a position that relies on player to really cover a lot of ground. So heads, uh, you know, kudos to Albert Dequa because he's putting in the effort. He's got three goals this year, of course, all paid off against Memphis. But this is a guy I think that, you know, I, I think they can't do they can't do wrong with having him being the guy that they roll out each game, doing all the a lot of the dirty work making runs or trying to just hold up a little bit and, you know, play it back out to the, to the midfielders. The problem is, is that the, the hounds are not, or everybody around him is not creating enough. Um, they're losing the last two matches. They, they were completely out possessed. So they didn't have a chance to really dominate the run of play and control dictate terms. Although in Tulsa, they were the ones that the hounds were the ones that were putting more dangerous opportunities uh, on goal. I think they just need to, to be a little bit more clever in the final third. And boy, do they miss Russell Cicerone, right? Um, There's been a rotation underneath Dequa in that 4-2-3-1. So they went with Tony Lopez the last two games. And, you know, he, he looked the most dynamic on the ball in the Tulsa match. But against Colorado Springs, he he just didn't have that many opportunities. He didn't have that many touches. Uh, I, I just, I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, they tried to go with Merch on one side of him and Yabar on the other side as the outside mid, uh, attacking midfielders. And just really not a lot of success. So, again, what do the Hounds miss? When they were di more dynamic in 2021 and parts of 2022, of course, it was Alex Dixon and Russell Cicerone. And right now, you look at the top scorers in the USL Championship, you're looking at Russell Cicerone is up there. Alex Dixon is up there. Uh, so there's former hounds that are lurking out there in the top scorers in the league, and it's 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 got to be a little troublesome. But, of course, Deke was up there as well. He's a, he's He's got his three goals 
So he's there when they can get the ball, when they can get the proper service or they can get the right runs and, and finish. Um, I think people will be the guy. I don't think it's all his fault. I think he was uh, Colorado Springs well um, prepared for the Hounds, and I think they executed their game plan well. Uh, they did play with a little chip on their shoulder. They lost a few nights earlier in the U.S. Open Cup. So the, all that rest, all that time off didn't ultimately – give the hounds a, a much of an advantage maybe it just it got them to the finish line in terms of being able to play Canardo Forbes for 90 minutes and Albert Equa for 90 minutes but um at the end of the day it just wasn't good enough on the road but if they play Colorado Springs 10 times I think those teams are 50 50 five five and five or three three and four or some crazy like that's how tight those two teams seem to be from my uh, perspective. I, I just thought neither really, I mean, it took a red card to kind of swing the match in favor of Colorado Springs. Uh, although I thought that if even before the red card, you could give Colorado Springs the edge and they were the, probably the better team in the first half. If you want to say that in a, in a half where there really wasn't much happening on either side. Um, but so there you have it. Um, that's my kind of thoughts on the Riverhounds uh, as we wait for our uh, guest uh, we were expecting here. So hopefully um, he will be joining us. And if not, um, we might be signing off on sounding off on soccer. So um, for the week for this episode. And uh, but if we do have this guest, I promise you it will be a very entertaining interview. Um, so either way. I've recorded a little something for you to listen to, so hopefully everybody enjoys that. Next up, as I said, Saturday for the Hounds um, will be the um, Rio Grande um, Toros FC, and that should be a lot of fun. Highmark Stadium, uh, 7 o'clock, and we will have Pittsburgh Soccer Now will have full coverage of that match, uh, so be sure to stay with us uh, for all of that. All right, now joining me on the pod is Matt Popchock, our old friend and uh, associate, a contrib big contributor for Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Matt, it is great to see you, talk to you. Um, I don't know, we'll be on a podcast. I don't know if we'll see this, but you are wearing a Pittsburgh Stingers shirt, which I'm sure <laughs> has one of those somewhere in his closet, too. I wore it for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you saw that and recognized that immediately. <laughs> no, I, it's... Um, Oh, I, the stingers were kind of like I I, I know the Pittsburgh spirit uh, spirit. Pardon me, uh, obviously, and I'm of the generation that's um, familiar with them, but you know a little too young to really you know know them and appreciate their legacy. So the stingers, uh, who were uh, a '90s concoction, uh, were my first exposure to professional soccer in Pittsburgh. So here we are. Well, I, you know, that's, that's, I just love it. I love anything that, yeah. stuff that, that goes back in time and talk about when soccer was just kind of like this. Although, like you said, when the spirit happened, it was, it was a little bit of a magical time for a very brief period, but long, it's sustained enough. And there's, there's a history and there's people who are truly nostalgic about it. I think when it comes to the stingers, you, um, I don't know, the, a word that, um, U.S. Open Cup people have been using a lot in the past week is sicko 
Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was for the sickos. I think it was a. That was, seems to be popular amongst a lot of sports these days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was that mid nineties boom where the Penguins and Civic Arena were trying to just throw everything at us, and I think right, that, right. Yeah, that was. There was there was a couple different things going on, and it just nothing quite quite stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, those were the Howard Baldwin years when when he owned the Penguins, and like you said, he was willing to do anything to uh, drum up revenue that I guess at least partially would be put back into the hockey club in some way, shape, or form. There was the Stingers. There was for a hot minute roller hockey, the Pittsburgh Phantoms at the same time. Uh, the same year, they both uh, the both franchises launched, if memory serves, and they filmed uh, the Van Damme movie, Sudden Death, of course, uh, at the arena. Um, the the thing I'll remember most about uh, the Stingers, though, um, aside from you know, twenty twenty hindsight, now recognizing Bob Lilly's ties uh, to the franchise, he was a defender uh, on the original team. Um, but the thing I'll always remember is being at uh, a game for the first time and it was the first and i believe last time i ever saw the uh civic arena dome open up right. and stay open for you know the course of the game uh you know they played uh the theme from 2001 a space odyssey as the thing uh opened up it was not it's it's funny the things you remember but man i remember that like it was yesterday well and, uh, that was so rare it was a rare thing it didn't happen yeah all. i think arena football championship game in somewhere in the mid 80s it happened there yeah. were concerts you know but it had to be in the summer mostly yeah. or they were filming a movie of course right uh, which was, you know, I remember that vividly because I worked on Forbes Avenue near Mercy Hospital mm -hmm. every single day. I saw them and they were trying to get people, all the extras to come into the stands every night. And they were, I don't know, they were like free, free concession food and they were trying everything. Uh, it was just and it was all nothing but emergency vehicles surrounded at night, surrounded the yeah. The lights flashing you just it just couldn't miss it back i guess that was 94 93 94 when that was yeah that would stand to reason as far as the filming dates are concerned and i believe the actual premiere uh of the movie itself was sometime in the neighborhood of christmas 95 because i remember going with family uh to and uh, relatives to see it in theaters right around uh right around christmas 95 so well, like and, that, and it's maybe it's not fair but that might be the legacy of the arena uh in maybe a generation or two down the road people will probably still be watching some jean <laughs> and you know the fight with the iceberg i think goes down and i don't know where we've gone off the rails here with this conversation <laughs> <laughs> no but uh um to your but to your earlier point though um I think the reason there was a market for the spirit and for indoor soccer in Pittsburgh at the time is because at the time, uh, you know, keep in mind, this was a time when the Penguins were lousy. It was the pre Mario years. And oh. I think there was an appetite or a void in Pittsburgh for a, a professional winter sport uh, with a team that was watchable, you know, and, and did well. And back then the concept of indoor soccer was, um, it was new. It was different. And people are always willing to at least 
try something that's different um you know whether or not it sticks is a different discussion but before mario came along and everything changed uh uh not just for the hockey team but for the city as a whole uh there was a period where the pittsburgh spirit had more of a puncher's chance of surviving in pittsburgh than the pittsburgh penguins as hard as that might be for the kiddos <laughs> today to believe but that was very much the case uh yeah, for a couple of years and i remember living on long island at the time and you know we were just in our glory with the islanders winning four straight stanley cups my yeah. sister, i normally went to games with my grandfather to the islander games he has season tickets but my sister came home and she's like the penguins they played the penguins and there's this Mario Lemieux, that's all she talked about. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I missed it. I didn't see <laughs> Mario Lemieux in person. You know, of course, I would be fortunate to be able to do that. Many, many Get used to that. <laughs> after, but, uh, but honestly, like, that was like, oh, Pittsburgh? You know, I mean, yeah, they were yeah. Good a couple years ago, you know, when they had um, Pierre LaRouche and whatever. Right. Well, that right. really hit the bottom. So, no, you're you're absolutely right, and that's that was like, oh, Pittsburgh's going to be good in hockey now. Well, that's that's good. That was that was really great for the NHL and and whatnot. But unfortunate for the spirit. But I, I believe indoor soccer. It was also coincided with the indoor soccer. Just whatever happened, it it just faded. Everything faded for like four or five years with regards to the NASL folding and then the indoor soccer leagues. I mean, they kind of persevered, but not in Pittsburgh and not in some of the bigger markets, even in New York where the arrows were, we had, they won three or four straight uh, cups as well. And at the same time, the Islanders did. So that was something, but they kind of faded off as well. So a lot of the bigger cities that had those indoor teams, there was some Detroit, Cleveland, a uh, couple other St. Louis is where they stayed. I know they maintained a real popularity over the into the nineties, and but for whatever reason, Pittsburgh it just didn't it didn't sustain uh, itself. And uh, you know it is what it is, but it was a, it was a lot of great memories. Yeah, and, and I think in the case of the Stingers, I think by the time it got to that point in the early nineties, where you know the Penguins were more established and. What when you're in a sports town that's you know a, a great sports town like Pittsburgh and you've already got lots going on and lots of different teams and entities and cultural things that are stretching your entertainment dollars, you got to win. You know you got to have the results have to be especially when you're a second tier professional team or you know a fringe thing like indoor soccer. You know you you got to win is the bottom line. And for the couple of years that they were around, they just didn't do it enough. And so the bloom, I think, very quickly fell off that rose. And, you know, for um, for the sport as a whole, that was around the time that MLS came to be, you know, in existence. And our generation, our generation of soccer consumers, soccer fans, etc., you know, sort of realized, hey, why do we need this, you know, bastardized version of something that's already a perfectly good thing that, MLS is trying to give us and these other, you know, like today USL and, you know, all the other leagues. So I think, you know, over time, that's why you saw the indoor, uh, the indoor version of the sport become more and more, you know, passe. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it's still there. It's still kind of yeah, yeah. in the background, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's, 
that's a great explanation and a good segue too because I think right now it's interesting. The river hounds are one, one, and three. It is still early to mid April, but I just I obviously I'm on the beat, so I'm involved yeah. and I'm very much on top of what's going on. And the diehard fans are going to be there, but I just don't sense. And the hounds are winning. They have won under Bob Lilly for this is year six. But it's almost like the Atlanta Braves syndrome of the 1990s. You know, the Atlanta Braves in the early 90s, 19, I guess it was 91, 92, definitely 93. And then in 95, they won it all. They And then they just kept winning Eastern um, Division championships all those years. But what happened was the Atlanta fan base, they just got, they were they wouldn't even sell out playoff games because it just got to be the same old thing they was wait oh wait till they get to this world series then maybe they'll come out with their tomahawk chops um i don't know is there a certain level of where the hounds have leveled off in terms of what the fans expect what's going on there's just no buzz and that's why i think it's a good time to talk about this and i tell you why because i think the potential of beating maryland bobcats means potential of hosting the DC United most likely would be DC United. So yeah. I just feel like there's something missing with this team right now with this franchise. And there's just very few people are getting excited about. Well, I think in the case of the river hounds, I think, um, you know, taking a macro view uh, is always important. And I think the river hounds, um, you know, this is um, this will be, I, I think, five or six years they've been under Bob Lilly. And if memory serves going for their uh, one, two, three, four, five, uh, I, I think uh, six consecutive playoff berth this year. I think uh, if my if my if they make the playoffs. Correct, yeah, if they make the playoffs, it'll be six in a row. So but I mean, in the bigger picture, you know, I, I it, like is five years really that long, like when when all these other you know, more established franchises in the city, you know, like even the pirates with their recent, you know, the futility and the cynical ownership. I mean, they're still, you know, they still have that awesome history, you know, of like of diversity and Clemente and, you know, Stargell and all those great names that people, um, I, I feel like the river hounds are still in the midst of, um, of kind of building that and, and building up to that. And I think USL as a whole at least to me, you know, uh, uh, from my own perspective, is still in the midst of uh, building credibility as, you know, uh, yes, a lower division league, but a very nowadays streamlined and very competitive professional league whose players in a number of cases have gone on to bigger and better things in, in other realms of professional soccer. Um, and it's, um, you know, the... I mean, just I, I say it all the time, so people probably get tired of hearing me say it. But, um, you know, the the league is unrecognizable today from what it was even just you know five six years ago. And I sincerely believe that five or six years from now, and hopefully we'll still be having these infrequent chats as we do. Um, we'll you know we'll be talking about wow, this league is unrecognizable from where it was in you know 2022, 2023. So. Um, I think the... All that being said, though, I still feel like something's missing in terms of 
10 years ago, we had a it, an English Premier League team played here. Well, actually, mm-hmm. the second division, but still, they were they eat their, their FA Cup winners played. Yeah. And we had DC United two years later play here. Um, those were nights people remembered. Those were things to look forward to. I don't, I mean, other than the the run of the mill regular season, you're getting your diehard fans, you're getting your incremental growth. Mm-hmm. All of that is not, is all happening. I'm just wondering, it's like, if they're just missing something, they need a moment. They need something galvanizing. They need right some sort of something to, to just kind of get people kind of to take notice. Uh, and, and I think that the contract with the KDK um, company, you know, KDK, obviously, CW, yeah. and that contract has helped because they're getting some more exposure uh, in along all the KDK family of networks. I've noticed that already. Right. There's been some features and they were on the uh, Pittsburgh Live yesterday and things like that. But I feel like something's something's missing. I, I'll keep saying that, I guess. No, I, I know. I do know what you mean, though. And I, I think they need, um, you know, they need a head turner. Uh, of some kind like and and i'll throw out the example of fc cincinnati which just a few years ago was a usl team i mean it's not ancient history that we're talking about here but just a few years ago um they were the team that you know obviously uh, had a very immediate to their credit very strong cult following in cincinnati um i also think in cincinnati there's more of an appetite for something that they didn't have that Pittsburgh had, which was a successful professional team, but that's, you know, a different discussion for a different time. But like, it wasn't until FC Cincinnati went on like that big open cup run where it was mowing over MLS teams week after week and very nearly mowed over the Red Bulls with uh, Bradley Wright Phillips. Um, You know, they went all the way, I think to the semifinal round of the open cup that year. It wasn't until then that I feel like people were looking at Cincinnati and saying, man, these turkeys would make a hell of an MLS franchise someday. And now, you know, they're, they are an MLS franchise. They're in there. They have their own stadium. You know, people are going to games. They're, um, they're one of the guys as far uh, as. I think you're right though. Pittsburgh is, is an established professional sports town where yeah. established entities are hard to overcome. We probably it's... have gone over this many times in this forum or in other similar forms in our with our group and whatever all of that that's why i do think sometimes you need that oh my goodness they're playing dc united tonight or they're in the play i mean the playoffs are are what it is and they i think that's the other piece of it and they're desperate to have that home playoff game so when they do have that stage for sure and i think that's why 2019 above all the other years was a huge missed opportunity i think they had two home playoff games but you know, they beat Louisville City, maybe that's another two or three, I mean, another two more potential home games that just didn't happen. And um, that they, they could have played the final at Highmark Stadium that year. So yeah. that, that was just a miss. They have this at some point, you know, that's I'm sure that they want that badly that but that's part of it. What else can they do? You know, I will say, too, I noticed this. Some teams in the USL Championship even not putting all their eggs in the basket when it comes to the U.S. Open Cup. And the Hounds, uh, I think 
may want to, I don't know, may want to reconsider that when they play, if they play an MLS team. Um, their schedule has been a little bit more manageable early this season. Uh, and yet, but now they're dealing with injuries and um, we have some red cards. So why don't we segue into that? Uh, I do want to do a little segment with you called R- Riverhounds Rapid Fire. We'll get to that in a second. Um, just real quick, what were your impressions uh, of this team now? They're one, one, and three after uh, five matches. Uh, and I believe they've scored five goals in five matches. Yes. Um, well, just to very quickly um respond to what you just said and very quickly step off the beaten path if i may um if dc united does come to highmark i remember the last time they were there packed house mm-hmm. team got a standing o at halftime a very competitive game um I, I think that could be the that watershed thing you know that um you know if they can knock off an mls team you know fingers crossed someday that they're looking for but in the meantime um, looking at what the club has done uh, in you know, conventional competition. I mean, I, I think that if you're a Riverhounds fan, um, you know, die hard or not um, through these first half dozen games or, or whatever, um, I don't think you have too many things to to really hang your head about. And I, I think, um, I mean, it, the bottom line, you know, they've earned – what you know points in five of their first six i believe is what it is and in the longer run if you earn points in five out of every six matches you're going to end up in a pretty good place come september october um you know the 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 loss stings obviously from saturday that was sort of a, a bummer of a way to lose giving up the the late goal uh with 10 minutes left but you know at the risk of um at the risk of stealing the thunder of Mongols, our friends over there, because I know they were kind of saying something similar. Um, is it possible to be more impressed with a team after a loss than a win? Because if I'm being perfectly honest, that's how I kind of felt after the Colorado Springs match. Um, you know, they, I thought they defended very, um, very resolutely and very uh, together for most of the time that they had to play with 10 men um the goal they just kind of got spread too thin when you're in that situation it happens it is what it is um jamali Waite made a clutch penalty save which i know we've vented about on social media and various uh <laughs> at various times in various forms that's that's its whole other discussion but i mean still he had to go out and he had to make the save and he did and I think um, if, he, if he did not save that, Matt, <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> that would have been on the top of ESPN's top ten. Yeah, uh, so yeah. it would still be on ESPN's top whatever the 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 one where they do the not the top ten, the 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 not top ten or something. That's really the play. I mean, I don't know what Foster was thinking. He again, first of all, I don't know if anybody else realizes this, but it's two Jamaicans probably two Jamaicans that know each yeah. other. Um, so I don't know if there was some head games. Point. Uh, maybe they faced off against each other in national team training or I don't know. I mean, Malik Foster hasn't had a call up in a while, um, yeah. and, but who knows that that's one part of it. Maybe there's some little Jamaican head games going on. Yeah. Don't know. I have to ask that. Um, yeah, no, but I, I think that, uh, but like even after the loss, I mean, you consider, 
all the new faces and new places on this team, you consider the fact that the early schedule, when you're playing all these fringe playoff teams and teams that are, quite frankly, your equal, if not your superior at the moment, you know, as may be the case with Birmingham, uh, at least, um, when you look at that and when you look at the fact that that early schedule has been very road heavy, um, you know, the, the fact that we're just now talking about or looking ahead to the team's second home game still feels a little, you know, uh, a little mind bendy uh, to me anyway. Um, but when you look at the fact that after all that, after the smoke has settled, they still have earned points and they're still, you know, treading water. At, at a decent spot in the overall Eastern Conference table, um, you know, you, you should feel okay with where the team is, knowing that it's still a long season um, and, you know, not having a lot of home games is going to even out over a long season. The officiating, i.e. getting robbed of a clear-as-day goal uh, at Tulsa, you know, those unlucky moments are going to even out over the course of mm-hmm. uh, a long season. And, um, you know, the, the the sort of misfortune you incurred uh, in Colorado where, uh, you know, you, you miss a chance right before the first half whistle, um, you know, shot, uh, to me, that's what happens when you haven't played in 10 days or 11 days or whatever it is. I mean, you know, that's that that's the kind of mistake I expect to be made from a team uh, that's been pressed into that situation. But again, I don't think there's anything to like really be gloom and doom about at this point. I think it's fine that the team has more often than not earned points. They're treading water and the opportunities to, um, to get better and to develop more chemistry and to, you know, get some of those goals and those results that maybe haven't come yet are going to come, uh, in the, in the longer haul. They just haven't come yet. Uh, I, I, I'll play along with that. My only concern would be a little bit more in the attacking front. I think defensively, they are going to be very good this year. I think barring injuries in the back, they've shown that they they will be fine. They will be solid in the back. I think it's four goals in five games, even with the loss. Four goals in five games, not bad at all. And they're they're just, I like that the way that they're rotating the center backs and Joey Farrell is coming off the bench and for most by now, he'll probably start on Saturday because Arturo Donez is going to be out. But that's a nice luxury to have. You have you can bring in Joe Farrell when Ordonez is out. Pat Hogan has, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be. Was it going to be three center backs? Were they going to do that? Were they? And it seems like a nice rotation there. And then you've got the outside back rotation. Steady. There's not a lot of dynamic play. And I think that's what's kind of lacking. And last year, you know, a lot of people were, we were down, I've been down on Alex Dixon for, but I think maybe was he used properly? You know, that's the question, or at least maybe he had to be used the way he was used because the hounds were lacking uh, somebody to come up from the, you know, outside back spot or winger spot play deeper. Um, But his lack of maybe defensive responsibility, um, or this is not that wasn't who he was as a player. Um, but now you have Luke Biasi, you have you have Nate Dos Santos who's healthy and Danny Rivera. So you can rotate those three outside back and it's reliable. I don't know if they're dynamic, right? They're gonna mm-hmm. create chances. And then that's the other question is without Russell Cicerone, that spot there, you know, it seems a rotation of 
Edward Kiza and uh, Tony Lopez right now is, I I mean Lopez looked good. At, he's looked good in instances, but I I just don't know if that that spot that's that's my biggest probably one of my biggest concerns is that attacking midfield line. And are you putting Mark Ibarra in a position he's not? He's starting to grow into, and he's getting more comfortable. And his 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 passing accuracy, things like that, are starting to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mertz too, like Mertz mm-hmm. is more of a center, center midfielder, and but he's playing a lot of wide midfield right now. He's asked to create yeah. from the whip, and Bob liked that. He wants Canardo, he wants Robbie to create from wherever they are, but uh, do they just don't have enough dynamic play on the, you know especially on the ball, beating guys off the dribble, doing something when the defenses are really stacked up against them like they were in in the last match. The last game was the sign. The last two, really, Tulsa and Colorado Springs, stacked the box pretty well and didn't really give an inch. And so I guess that's my biggest concern is like, when do they get into this, into this kind of a rhythm in terms of scoring? I, I haven't really seen it yet, except for the Memphis game, where Memphis looked like, they were a little bit disorganized early in the season. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think also that Bob is, you know, being, being the bigger picture, being the process guy that he is, and he'd be the first to admit that. I think he's still like the rest of us in a position of trying to find out who these guys, some of these guys really are and trying to get a read on some of these guys. Like, Burke failing, for example, um, you know, that goal in the home opener against Miami was a thing of beauty and mm-hmm. a very timely thing of beauty at that, uh, you know, is he maybe going to be an X factor going forward or, or was that just, you know, a flash in the pan from someone off your bench? Um, you know, maybe, um, maybe you start expecting more from him. Um, maybe you expect a little bit more from Kiza who seemed to fit in, really, really nicely at the end of last year, considering the way that he kind of jumped on a moving train um, with the club toward the end of the season and obviously had that huge uh, uh, legendary playoff performance um, in Birmingham. But uh, I'm glad also that you mentioned Farrell because, you know, when we did our preseason predictions and players to watch, he was the newcomer that I kind of you know, pointed to as, you know, a guy to maybe keep an eye on uh, the defender from Phoenix rising. And, you know, I, I think already that, um, you know, I, I like what I've seen from him and, you know, I, I don't think, you know, you, you don't wish anybody a lack of physical health, but I think it's a good thing potentially that we see more of him because I think in the opportunities that he's been given as a sub, he's shown, without maybe screaming at you on the stat sheet that, you know, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's going to be okay back there. And he's a presence who can help bail out your keeper and bail out other guys on the back line if necessary and, and make plays. Um, Yeah. And so he'll, he'll definitely start, I'm sure for Saturday. And and the other is you mentioned Burke falling and Burke uh, actually got his replaced Mertz, late in that match where he came in and scored the goal. And then the following match, Mertz sat anyway. So it looks like if if you go by rotation and precedent, that balling will probably get the start in place of Mertz on Saturday. That's probably what I would anticipate on that left 
that left attacking wing, uh, spot. And one thing about falling, and I watched him a lot in, in preseason training, was his ability to, to really deliver real nice, clean, accurate crosses. Uh, I know, I think he was on the back end of that ball that came in and he scored the goal. But I think as we get to see more of him this year, I think his strength is going to be getting balls in and um, being providing service. And that's something I think that the hounds have been lacking. I mean, they, 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 they don't, they're not short on sending crosses. They've been leading almost every match and crosses sent. So even when they're at a huge disadvantage in terms of possession, when and they, they have a great playmaker still in Forbes. That's what he's there for, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, but that's one area where I don't think they're lacking in terms of uh, quantity is now the question is, is where's the quality? Where's the quality? They, that's when we want to see. And I think Riverhounds fans will want to see, hopefully starting this Saturday. So, yeah. And I think looking at the opponent on Saturday, Rio Grande Valley, you know, um, we were talking about the work recently on social media about the work that, John Morrissey has done for USL tactics, sort of breaking down uh, the advanced stats of all the different USL sides and, um, you know, sort of looking at where teams stand, you know, in the early goings offensively and defensively. And, um, you know, again, you know, I, I agree with what everybody says about small sample sizes, but I mean, if you are looking for uh, a glass half full take on, on Pittsburgh's attack, you know, you could look at the opponent on Saturday and maybe kind of smell the blood in the water a little bit. You know, here's a an RGB team that has been suspect, maybe a, li- a little bit defensively, and you've got um, a Pittsburgh side that uh, I mentioned the Tulsa game where you know they kind of got robbed, and you know uh, last Saturday you know had. Had a couple chances, but also had some tough breaks with the red cards and whatnot. And, you know, it just it screams the opportunity for a comeuppance game, um, a correction game, if you will, offensively for Pittsburgh. And he just hoped that even with the missing pieces that they can pounce on that opportunity. Right. And, uh, you know, it's so early in the season and uh, to be two, two, one and three and have those. You know, what is it? That would be nine points in the bag. Would be would be a yeah. good for the for the Hounds. All right, so let's get into Riverhounds rapid fire, and then we'll wrap it up. Matt, thanks for joining me. Uh, Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to have uh, somebody to bounce some things off of. Um, so, a couple. I'm going to give you some rapid fire questions. You can give me a quick answer, a quick maybe quick little sure. reasoning for your answer, and then we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, all right. So, if you had one player. From the most recent Riverhounds team back, which one player would you want to have back? That's no longer from the 2022 team that I would like to have back in 2023. Well, without batting an eye, and apropos of what we just talked about, Russell Cicerone, I think offensively he would have a lot of the answers that the team has been looking for early in the season. And uh, he certainly has fun dunking on Louisville <laughs> as, as he just demonstrated with his new club not long ago. Um, but yeah, I would Cicerone is a guy I would take back in a heartbeat. All right. What about now? This is a similar question, but uh, which, but kind of related now. So we're looking at the, the, the top goal scorers in the USL championship. And five of them, and I think top nine, are former or current Riverhounds. So the one current is obviously Albert Equal with his three. 
and then Christian Valeski got thrown into the mix this week with two. So I am not even counting him, but we can throw him in there too. Which former Riverhound finishes the this season with, and you can include a current Riverhounds, but which, right. which of all the former Riverhounds and the current group of Riverhounds, who finishes this, has the most goals this season? Um, I'm gonna see. I was I was tempted for a moment to say Tyler Pasher because you know he's I mean he's in the mix right now. He's in that group of guys you mentioned. But I'm going to go with my gut and say Nico Brett, just because formationally, he seems to have the best odds of finding himself on the end of what Birmingham is trying to do for him. And, um, you know, we all know about his goal scoring prowess as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to have a little bit of a leg up on the rest. So I'll, I'll, I'll lean toward Nico and I'll say I'll say Nico. OK, that's a good answer. Just so you know, OK, everyone knows listening. Uh, currently, uh, Alex Dixon has four. I believe Ciceroni has four, three or four. Mm-hmm. And I just mentioned Christian Valeski had two. So he was up for player of the week. We'll be interesting to see if he gets that nod this week. Uh, for Monterey Bay, also with Alex Dixon. So look at all those former hounds are out at Monterey Bay uh, <laughs> them at some point later this season. Um, uh, I feel like I'm missing somebody, but uh, we said Obviously, um, Deke was in the mix, and Tyler Pasher, as you mentioned, is yeah. in, well with also with Birmingham, uh, and of course Nico Brett. So I'm I would go with Nico Brett probably on that one. All right, Matt. Next one is because Open Cup is looming. It looks unless I've got it all wrong. It looks like it, if the Hounds do advance, and the MLS team in their bracket advances, it would be DC United. Um, unless they completely redraw, but I have to double check on that. I believe they would, they'll, they're in the same East bracket with DC United. So most likely it would be DC United. However, that being said, the question is which team, MLS team, would you most enjoy watching the Hounds play or get a chance? Um, I would say, and I, obviously I say this without regard to, bracketing and grouping and whatnot um i i wouldn't mind seeing the riverhounds play one of the western mls sides like maybe an austin fc or maybe an lafc um just because those are two teams that um would bring a lot of fans wherever they went you know if they ever if the day if the planets aligned and they ever got to come to highmark you know uh, i don't think uh, Mr. Garner would have any trouble uh, filling the house with his own fans or otherwise. Um, but I mean, those are two, um, those are two MLS teams that are just very, very, uh, there's just something about them that just they're, they're watchable, you know, like for, for an average soccer fan who, you know, maybe doesn't know some of these guys as household names. Um, they, I mean, they're teams that have been winning consistently in recent years uh, Austin has been, I think, a good poster child for success as an expansion team uh, in that league. So I think that would make for um, a, a very entertaining match. Not to say that Pittsburgh would necessarily win or, you know, one way or the other, but um, it would it would be fun to see um, if a master tactician like Bob could come up with some um, come up with some things to at least throw them off their game a little bit and help his own team make a decent account of themselves 
uh, as they did in last year's Open Cup on the road against an established MLS side. I know we just seen Columbus and Cincinnati now. Like it feels like so. It just can we all the time. <laughs> really, I, I honestly, because of the Philadelphia soccer now relationship, now we I would love to see the Philly Union, who you know, obviously that'd be cool. The schedule that that team. I, I think the thing is, if the Hounds would catch them, maybe they beat DC United and then they get the Union. The Union schedule right now playing in the Concacaf um, League and Champions League and that I mean I just feel like they could those are like oh let's catch let's catch a team that they, they just can't play everybody you know that kind of thing they need you need a little bit of luck in, in absolutely open. so to me Philly uh, Philly Union would be a lot of fun um, the other one would be a let's go West Coast and go Real Salt Lake just because you know you would see your Berton Jacqueson and you would see um, Jasper Lafferson as well mm. from uh, the two pit players out there who are playing and uh, doing really well. I mean, obviously, Jock Lafferson is the one that's getting all the starts and the, the playing time. But um, I would imagine in an open cup game, you might see Jacqueson, uh get it, get it, get a get a mat, get his match in. So uh, that would be a lot of fun um, from my standpoint. All right, let's finish it up with short sample size. This is our word of the week, short sample size season. Short sample size, team MVP thus far this season for the Hounds. Ooh, the, for the Hounds, um, thus far this season, um, I would have to go with uh, Albert Dequa. Um, he started off on the right foot offensively. Uh, he's bagged a couple goals already. And, you know, I, I hate to beat a dead horse, but quite frankly, should have had another a week ago. Um, I imagine he's going to have many more. And whatever fortune this team has had offensively early in the season, he's usually been involved in some way, shape, or form. So he's, to me, he's been one of the guys that's been kind of helping them uh, tread that water, to use a phrase I used earlier. So uh, I'll say Dequa. All right. I like that. It's a good pick. I probably would go with, I was thinking Arturo Odonez because he's just played every match and then he got the red card at the end of the match. So. Mm. I took some points off in the player grade um, <laughs> because of that, but uh, certainly has been super reliable. And, you know, I think it's a sign too of where this team is right now. Um, but also you can't underestimate. I mean, yes, he's not what he used to be, but Canardo Forbes continues to be a, such a presence on this squad and you take him off of it. I still don't think they're where they, they could, they, they are, they still rely on his leadership and his ability to, you know, dictate tempo and terms and stuff. So um, I thought he was outplayed a little bit by uh, Speedy Williams last week, but you know, most nights he's still the maestro out there. And I think he's a guy that the hounds will have all these young, it, it's so weird. They're starting to be a lot like the Bethlehem steel to have not quite <laughs> Philadelphia Academy players all around them. But it's a Kenny, 34, 35 years old, and then all these guys that are 10, 11 years younger than him around him. And I think it's and, a dynamic. And it's funny you mentioned Forbes because in, in I was watching Saturday's game, and in the second half, there was a missed chance for the Riverhounds when the game was still 
goalless. And I believe it was Forbes. It was the, the announcers didn't really make reference to this. And it was difficult to spot who actually did this from the television angle that I had to work with. So you can, you're more than welcome to tell me that I'm full of crap if I'm wrong about this. But after this one missed chance in particular, right around roughly around the hour mark, I, it looked like it was Forbes who was like demonstrably upset that a play was not properly executed. And Kenny is not a guy who strikes me as a guy who gets demonstrably upset very often. So I like, like I personally enjoyed seeing that. I liked seeing that fire from one of your older players. And I think it's important for the team to know and for the fans to know, you know, as we worry if this guy, you know, can still be the player that he's always been. It's important to know that, um, the old dog can still bark, you know, so to speak. Well, he, I've, I've seen him at training a few times, and he's, he does this thing with his hands when he's talking to you. When he does that, and he starts smacking his hands, he's, he's being very demonstrative. And uh, if you actually watch one interview I did with him on the Pittsburgh Sports Now YouTube channel, he's, he starts talking about like the how they fell short last year. They, they had losing streaks, and they, they couldn't snap out of them. And, mm-hmm. That wasn't like us. We would lose a game. And we always won the next game. I mean, he was very demonstrative and he kept smacking. Yeah. Him. I was like, go, Kenny, go. I can yeah. hear, hear the leadership. And, and he's absolutely like on the field. All the players I interviewed um, for a feature about him said the same thing. Like he's not going to, sometimes he's not going to say things, but he's going to give you that look. And he's a, yeah. And there's something there, but he, it's definitely leadership quality. And I think a lot of people believe he, has a future in in teaching and coaching um, the game um, and could be will be because he's just so so smart he knows um, what to do two or three steps ahead of everybody else so um, but yeah all right well Matt uh, it's been uh, a pleasure uh, thanks uh, I appreciate you joining me on here for this uh, impromptu session uh, Riverhounds rapid fire we got to do more of that uh, as we move through the season I'd love to. All right, so we'll be talking to you soon and um, see everybody out at Highmark Stadium on Saturday. It should be a fun one. Go Hounds.